We are continuing in this month of prayer and, and speaking on prayer. And um, it was awesome last week. Susanna came and, and shared some of her journey of just that intimacy with God in prayer and that, that setting aside time to seek and be connected to God in prayer. And that was, that was awesome. The week before, we looked at the Lord's Prayer and as like a structure to kind of get started because prayer can kind of easily be overwhelming. It's like, where do we start? And, and Jesus gives us this prayer to pray. And it particularly starts with praying God as Father and praying for His name and His, His kingdom to come and then also addressing daily needs and requests that we have as well. And we're going to keep going into this today and really have a look at, I suppose, I suppose if you sort of think about the series, kind of had an intro, then last week was more the idea of like devotional prayer or prayer in terms of growing in relationship with God. And today we want to go more onto the idea of intercessory prayer, it's kind of a big word, of, which basically gets used to say asking God to do things or asking God to, to move um, in our lives and in other people's lives. And as soon as we start talking about that type of prayer, the question that kind of often comes up with is, well, does it actually make a difference? Does it matter? Does it actually, um, does it, does, is it just this sort of ritual that we just sort of do or is it actually powerful? Does it actually purposeful? Does it actually change things? And that kind of question is so important. So what we're going to do is have a look at that tonight, uh, kind of unpack that. We're going to look at a story that Jesus tells about this guy who has a friend at midnight and wakes him up. And we look at some characters through the Bible. I've got like a whole lot of stuff to get through in a short amount of time. So I'm going to go pretty quick and just kind of pound you with Bible verses tonight. Um, but this will probably raise questions and it will probably maybe a struggle even. And I encourage you, if this brings up stuff, emotional stuff, theological stuff, all sorts of stuff it might bring up, I encourage you just to wrestle with that. To, to ask questions, to, to study, to think. Uh, these are big things we're talking about. 30 minutes to kind of answer that question is a really short amount of time. Um, but I'm going to pray, and um, then we'll get into it. So, Father, we just thank you that, yeah, you have given us your word, and you've given us your spirit. Um, thank you for the privilege we have to, to talk to you, to come before you um, because of Jesus, uh, that we can call you Father. And that you call us to ask and, and request things of you. And Father, we just ask that you would speak to us tonight, give us understanding, and really ask tonight, would you convince us and give us passion to pray and to seek you? And we just pray this in your name. Amen. So does it make a difference? This question is important because maybe you sort of think, well, no. Like maybe you've heard the, the sort of saying, well, well, it makes a difference, but it just makes a difference to me. Prayer is about us just being changed and shaped to be like God, but it doesn't actually really change other things. Maybe, maybe you've been, been taught that before, and there's a, there's a truth in that, but if it doesn't actually make a difference, it makes it hard to pray. Or maybe you kind of believe that it does make a difference, but there's sort of this question, does it really? I don't really know. Because what we believe about that will really impact our ability to pray or not. Sometimes we approach prayer just as this thing like, well, it's just something I should do. Yes, it's good. Yes, it's right. Yes, it's important. But really, the thing to do is to get to our beliefs. What do we actually believe about it? Because what we believe about it is going to impact how we act. And if we don't think it makes a difference, it makes it really hard. This is what one author, Dallas Willard, says. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is the spectre. Spectre is like a, a ghost. It's, it's that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. So we think, well, yeah, prayer is important, but actually everything would just happen the way it would happen if we didn't pray. 
He said, if, if we believe that, it makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. You can kind of say, well, yeah, prayer changes me, and, and yes, prayer connects with God, but actually asking God to do things is not, doesn't really matter. These things will happen regardless of whether we pray. It makes it very difficult to be motivated to pray. It feels like that there's not really much point. Um, so what I want to do is, is, so we're saying this question is really important. And what I want to do is, is look at some passages, particularly the story from Jesus. And Jesus is teaching on prayer. It's in Luke 11. And he teaches the Lord's Prayer. And straight after teaching the Lord's Prayer, he goes on and tells this story. And it's a really interesting story. I'm going to read you the story. I'll kind of make some comments on it, and then we'll pull out this sort of point of it as we go. So this is, this is what Jesus does. We're going to kind of use this passage to help us, and then we'll build from there. So this is what he says. Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Now, this story probably doesn't make much sense because we're so used to like 24-7 McDonald's, and we're used to cars, and we're not really, we don't have obligation to show hospitality. But back then, it was different, before McDonald's. So if you wanted bread, you had to make it. And before cars, so if people had come on a journey, they probably walked a long way. Um, and on top of that, hospitality is a big deal. And if someone's coming to your home, you, you are under obligation to feed them and to, and to look after them. So this is a guy whose friend has travelled from um, some faraway place. He's arriving in the middle of the night, and this guy realises that my friend's hungry, and I don't have food, and I'm meant to feed him. What am I going to do? And he remembers that that day he saw his mate down the street, like with this abundance of bread, and he knew, knows that he has leftovers, and though it's midnight, he goes and asks him for some. So this is how the story keeps going. Suppose the one inside answers. He goes and knocks on his mate's door, and then he hears this response. Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Again, this is like before, like three, four-bedroom homes, like big, big apartments. Like this is like probably like a small house. People probably slept in this one bed or this sort of one platform above the floor. And the guy calls out, and he says, no. He says, like... I'm, I'm in bed. If I get up, I'm going to wake up all my family. I'm going to wake up the animals. The door's locked. I can't get up. Go away, basically, is what, what he's saying. The story keeps going. And this, and this is his friend, right? Like, he's, he's asking his friend, but his friend says no. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, the guy's not, the friendship isn't that strong to do that. <laughs> Yet because of your shameless audacity, we don't necessarily use those words, but this is this idea of like bold persistence. So in this story, the guy doesn't just say like, oh, okay, no worries, I'll go home. Like, it's like, no, my friend is hungry and I have to give him bread. You have bread, so he keeps knocking. He keeps knocking on the door. And this idea of shameless audacity, it's almost like it's this bold risk. Like he's almost risking the friendship. Like he just keeps pestering. And maybe then he just stands at the window for a while and the, the guy's in bed, but then he sees it. He's just standing there. Or maybe he's got like the puppy dog eyes just like staring or something like that. Like, like he just keeps going. And Jesus says he's not going to give you because he's his friend, but because of that, your bold persistence, your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Eventually, he's going to say, well, it's going to be beneficial for me just to go and give it to him, and then it'll be quiet, and then I can go back to bed. So Jesus tells this story. It's a strange story, right? He's just taught on prayer, and then he tells this story. And then straight after that, Jesus builds on it, and he says this, so I say to you, 
He's told the story, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus told this story about a guy who boldly asks and persists and then uses it as an example of asking and making requests of God. And again, these words, when it's saying ask and, and seek and knock, they're, they're all in, in the Greek, they're these continuous words. So it's like, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And the promise is that there will be a response. Those who ask, receive. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, the door will be open. A, a response appropriate to the, the request. And then Jesus builds on this more, and he uses these rhetorical questions. He says, which of you fathers, he's addressing the people, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? So he's saying, obviously no one. Like any father, you'd hope so, if, if, if they ask, if a kid asks for food or they ask for a toy or they ask for something, like they don't, you don't give them a snake or, or a scorpion. Like you don't give them something that's going to hurt them or, or, or harm them. Like, like you give good gifts. And then Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, so he's saying fathers who are evil, like people, it doesn't have this very high view of humanity. Like Jesus understands that we have sin, our motives, that we have issues, we have problems, we're fallen, yet we still give good gifts to our kids. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's this contrast if just normal sort of dads will give good gifts to their kids, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? These, these three things go together. And Jesus is basically, it, it all combines to this great encouragement to pray, to ask God. And specifically in this situation is to ask God for His Spirit. But this, can, this, this, this is used in other ways as well. That God, this, this, this encouragement to pray and to ask God for what we need. And it's, it's a, the encouragement is to do it with persistence, to do it with boldness, to do it with confidence that God hears and God acts. So straight up, we see in the life of Jesus, or even just in this story, does he believe, does he teach that prayer makes a difference? The answer is yes. That God actually expects and requires us to ask. And he actually listens and he responds to our requests. The implication is that if the guy at the door who was, who just, the guy said no, if he just went back to bed, like he wouldn't have bread. He, he persisted. He kept knocking. And then the bread came. The same, if we didn't ask, you wouldn't receive. If you didn't seek, you wouldn't find. If you didn't knock, the door wouldn't open. The, the, the encouragement is to ask and to request, and that God actually listens and responds to our requests, which means that prayer is not primarily even or necessarily only about us being changed, but that it actually makes a difference. This is how one author describes it, and this is, this is a somewhat provocative quote. He's trying to make a point, so I'll explain it. But this is, this is what he says. Prayer is not to bring the petitioner's will into submission to the unchanging will of God, but prayer is to move God to do something which he otherwise would not do. Now, that, that's provocative, right? and, and it's, it's a bit of a simplification because prayer does shape us and shift us it does change us, and part of prayer is coming into submission to God's will. 
But when we look at the Bible, there's a ma- just again and again and again, there are examples of people praying, God hears, and God acts. People praying, God hears, and God acts again and again and again, like all throughout the Bible. And, and the implication is that the people needed to ask, that God actually wants us to ask and requires us to ask, and that He acts and He listens to our requests. What I want to do, though, is just look at a few examples of this and, and, and some somewhat even controversial or confusing examples in the Bible that might raise some questions. Um, but I want to, want to do this because it's really interesting when you just think of what, how does the Bible sort of present this idea of prayer and the power of requests and talking to God. So the first example is Moses. So I'll give you a really quick backstory. So Moses is, is, is the guy who, who delivers Israel, God's people, from slavery in Egypt. So they're in Egypt, they're slaves, God comes in powerful miracles, um, they pass through the Red Sea, this is all in the book of Exodus. God brings these people out into the wilderness, they, they complain because they don't have food and God gives them food, they don't have water, God gives them water. And God is entering into this agreement with them, that they're going to be His special people. And God's plan and purpose for the earth are going to be fulfilled through them. And they have this thing called a covenant, and in some ways it's almost a bit like a marriage. There's this agreement. But then on the very first night of the wedding, basically, the Israelites commit adultery. They just had this agreement. And as soon as Moses is gone for a little bit, they build this golden calf, which is another god. And the first thing God said was, don't have other gods. And as soon as Moses goes, the first thing they do is have other gods and a whole lot of other stuff. You can read, read about it in Exodus. But God is rightly angry at this, that, 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 the, the way that people have responded. And this is a conversation that God has with Moses in Exodus 32. God says, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are stiff-necked people. They don't want to listen or follow him. God says, now leave me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. God has said he's, he's, he's done with these people, but he's going to fulfill his promises through Moses. Moses then starts to talk and to pray and to reason with God. He says, Moses sought the favour of the Lord. He said, why should your anger burn against the people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? It's like, God, you brought these people out. Why should you be angry at them? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out? So Moses is saying to God, think, what are the Egyptians going to say to you if you kill them? They're going to say that you brought them out to kill them and in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Moses then prays and asks, God says, turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring the disaster on your people. And again, verse 13, he goes on, he keeps reminding God of his promises. And this is a crazy verse. 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Is this, this God's, God threatens he's going to do this? Moses prays. And God doesn't. It's it's an amazing passage about the power of prayer and intercession and God listening and responding to requests. There's this other one. um, It's in 2 Kings, this guy named Hezekiah. Again, he's a king and he's a good king. He's followed God and God has answered his prayers. There's some pretty cool stories about him and and some battles around prayer and God, God moving powerfully. And he gets to this place, though, where he's sick. And, and this happens. This is from 2 Kings 20. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. So he's very sick. He's about to die. The prophet Isaiah, 
So this is like Isaiah, right? He's a major prophet in the Bible. Goes to this king and says, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You're not going to recover. Like, like, I don't know what that would be like for you, but maybe, maybe if you, you got sick, you weren't well and you're praying and you're not sure what's going to happen and then you hear powerfully God speak and God says, get ready because you're going to die. You're not going to recover. And we would probably say, well, okay, God's spoken. Well, the thing to do is just to trust Him and to submit and to say, well, I guess that's God's will. I guess that's what's going to happen. But Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and prays to the Lord. He says, remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully with my whole heart. I can't see under the lights. Wholehearted devotion. And I've done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah whipped badly. As soon as Isaiah starts to leave, Hezekiah starts to pray and he's starting to, to, to ask God passionately, crying out to God. And then this is the next verse. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, so he just said, this is what God says. He's walking out. The word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your, pr- your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord I will add 15 years to your life. Like, that's an amazing story, right? Like, like God speaks through a prophet. This is what's going to happen. Hezekiah prays, and then God says, no, actually, this is what's going to happen. You're not going to die. You're going to have more 15 more years. Like, God responds. He listens and responded to Hezekiah's prayer. And again, the implication is that this is what God said was going to happen. If Hezekiah didn't pray then he probably would have died. That God actually listened and responded to his prayer. And again, both of these examples, are, again, these, these are like massive men of God. God's spirit is in them. God's at work in them. This isn't just like anybody in the Old Testament. Like, like these, are, these are people who have this close relationship with God. And in these situations, God responds straight away. Right? Moses is talking to God and then God um, relents or, or Hezekiah is praying and Isaiah is just walking out the door and he, just before he gets out, he turns around and has to go back. This is like straight away. But it's interesting that there's other times and probably for most of our experience when that doesn't happen. When we pray and we don't know if God's heard or we don't know if God's responded. And there's this really interesting story that describes the bigger picture of what could be going on here in Daniel. I'm going to really quickly have a look at Daniel 10. This is, again, this is, this is an interesting story that's worth reading about and thinking about. Because often we think, we pray, if we don't hear anything, if nothing happens, we either think God didn't hear, or we think God's not doing anything, or God's not responding. But this story shows that, well, actually, there's, there's a whole range of other reasons and other things that could be going on. Daniel, in Daniel 10, has had God speak to him, and he's seeking God in prayer to understand it. He's, he's asking God, and he's even actually setting aside time. It says that he doesn't eat certain foods. It's this intensive time of praying and seeking God. And it goes on for three weeks. So he prays, he starts to pray, and then he just keeps praying, and it goes on for three weeks. And after three weeks, again, this is, this, this is like the Bible. There's all these sorts of crazy things happen. After three weeks, an angel shows up, and the angel speaks to Daniel. And this is what the angel says. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind 
to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard and I've come in response to them. So this angel rocks up and says to Daniel, the first day you started to pray, God heard. God heard. And then the angel says, I have come in response. God responds. But the first day he heard, but the angel doesn't rock up for three weeks. The response comes three weeks later. The next verses give us some insight as to what was going on. This says, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. So God responds by sending this angel, but the angel says, I had trouble getting here basically because I had this person trying to stop me. By implication, this is some other spiritual being, that the prince of the Persian kingdom. There's this like spiritual battle going on to the angel to try to get to Daniel. And it says, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. This is saying that God has sent me but I was bound up in this fight that was going on. I couldn't get through. And eventually I got some help from Michael and now I'm here. It's, this is like, that's crazy, right? Like we don't often consider that when we pray. That actually there's, there's other spiritual forces. There's other things going on that we're not aware of. And this, this story reveals that actually God could hear and respond, but there could be things blocking God's response. There may be other reasons, there may be other things going on that means the prayer isn't answered right then and there, which again, Jesus' encouragement to persist is so important. This is um, how one author describes this, because again, these these are big ideas. He says this, it takes considerable spiritual maturity to live in the tension between these two facts. God has heard our prayer and the powers, the powers of evil, are blocking God's response. But that's possible to have those two things that are true, two facts at the same time. That God has heard us, but there's, there's stuff going on that's blocking. That means that God's response is not coming through. And how that works, that raises a whole heap of questions. I encourage you to think and, and discuss and to study and work that through. But, but I think at least the, the basic, the basic um, encouragement or teaching we can have from that is that there's bigger things going on than we, that we may not be aware of. And it's not as simple as God's just ignoring me or God doesn't care. There's, there's other things going on at play. So what we're saying is, what, what I guess from the case I'm making today, biblically, when you look at the story of the Bible, does prayer make a difference? The overwhelming answer is yes. God listens. God desires us to make requests of Him, and He responds to our requests. And again, this is such a big topic. We could talk about so many questions that might be even coming up for you now. And, and I guess just one brief comment on one of them is, is well, does that mean that God's going to give us everything we ask for when we pray? And, and again, we see in the Bible that no, <laughs> um, that, that He doesn't. But that the thing to do is to still persist, to pray boldly, to ask, and that He will respond. One really quick example is, is the Apostle Paul in, in Corinthians says that three times he pleaded with God to take this issue that he had away from him. He had this struggle. He wanted to be gone. And God doesn't, but he does respond. God responds and says, basically, I'm going to be with you through it. I'm going to work in and through this. So God didn't answer the way that he thought, but God did respond. God did hear. And again, the encouragement is, and, and that's true as well. God may not necessarily do everything he asks, that we ask him to, and that's a really good thing. Right? Like we might ask for things that there's bigger things going on. That's not actually going to be good in the long run. You might even be able to think for yourself. You might have prayed prayers, and you're like, I'm really glad God didn't answer that prayer, like on reflection. 
Like he is Father and he knows. But the thing to do is, is to not then just sit back and say, well, let's not pray. The thing is to pray boldly and persistently, but trusting in him and confidence in him. And this is, that's really what the teaching of Jesus is, is giving. Jesus is saying, God listens and responds, therefore keep praying. Therefore be bold. Therefore be persistent. And again, by, by his spirit and, and, and listen for his response, but be bold, like the guy knocking at the door with the shameless audacity. This is what he's saying. That, that therefore, because God listens and responds, be bold, persist, ask boldly and confidently. And ultimately, we're praying for God's will to be done, like in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking that God would enter, that things are not, that are not good, are not aligned with what it's like when God is king and God is in charge, that they would be gone and that God's reign and rule would come in our hearts and it would come in the earth. And Jesus calls us to pray that and to persist. This is, this, and this kind of prayer that we're talking about, I suppose, is, is a bit different to just the routine kind of prayer. And, it's, and again, it's different to the kind of prayer that we talked about last week, which is just relating an, an intimate, close relationship with God and with Jesus. And, and that is incredibly important. And as well, the kind of day-to-day, just sort of more um, routine prayers, even praying the Lord's Prayer, is important. But this type of prayer we're talking about is, is a more persistent, bold, passionate energy prayer. This is how one author describes it. He says, prayer needs persistence and energy like fuel for a car. Not just the rituals or uh, motions which are important but lack the energy. He gives this metaphor of like uh, the frame of a car is kind of like the more rituals and motions of prayer, which are important, which are good. But like the fuel for the car is the persistent, bold, requesting, interceding, asking for God to move and asking for God to act. And actually, that we actually need to pray like that. Jesus' encouragement overwhelmingly is to pray, persist, ask confidently that God hears and God will respond. But you might say, well, that sounds really great, but I don't really feel like that. Like, I don't have that kind of passion, persistence or that fuel. Like, and you might even have this question, well, how do we get it? How do we get the fuel? How do we pray like that? How do we get the persistence and the energy? Maybe we've got these, all these questions about prayer. How does it work? I just can't figure it out. Well, maybe it's just like there's been disappointment and there's, there's issues. I don't know how to, to really trust God again. Or maybe it's just, I just don't know. It's just not there. I'm just not feeling it. And, and the, I want to give you a few ideas around this. But, but just the first, the first idea is that ultimately prayer is initiated by God. That if we are to be people who pray, it's because he's put his spirit in us. It's because he's working in us. That Romans talks about God's spirit prays in us and we, give, we, we, we um, express that. And, and ultimately, the thing to do to be able to pray is just to grow in relationship with God, ask for more of his spirit. And as his spirit takes power and control of us, we become people who pray. But on top of that, I want to just offer you this, this idea um, as an encouragement from a more just sort of thinking about the world and, and the issues that we face. How do we pray with this kind of persistence and boldness? I want to give you this idea of deadlines. I don't know about you, but I finished this sermon this morning just before needing to preach because <laughs> that was when the deadline was. I don't know, maybe Christmas shopping, you're going ready for Christmas and you're like, this year I'm going to have my Christmas shopping ready by the end of November. It's going to be done. 
or maybe you, you're booking, or maybe some of you guys are planning out your assignments at school or your assignments at uni, and you're like, okay, I'm going to have this one done by this date, so then I have time for this one, and, and I'll go here. And these are all fake deadlines. They're not real deadlines. And in the back of your mind, you know they're fake deadlines. Because when the deadline comes, when it comes to the end of November and you're like, I'm going to have my Christmas shopping done, you know you don't really have to have your Christmas shopping done. So you think, I'll just do my Christmas shopping next week. Or when you're doing your assignment and you think, well, I'm going to get this one done two weeks early, so I've got time. But then when it comes to it, you're like, I know it's not really due for two weeks. I've got time. I can go do something else. And, 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 or, or maybe you're doing some work around your house or, or whatever it is. But, and you set a fake deadline. But you know it's a fake deadline. Unless you're like a super motivated, disciplined person, like, like there probably are people like that. But, but often, deadlines motivate, right? Like at the end of November, there's not that many people really motivated to do their Christmas shopping. But Christmas Eve, people are really motivated to do their Christmas shopping. Like the Christmas is coming and you need to get it done. Uni students may not be that motivated to get their assignment done two weeks early, but like 10 minutes before closing time, like just before it has to get in, or maybe your assignment at school is due the next day, you're like up all night and you're incredibly motivated to get it done because it's a real deadline. It's not a fake deadline. You know that actually if you don't get it in by that deadline, there's going to be consequences. That's, there's reality there. And this is a principle that reality motivates when you're up against reality, you're motivated. And, and I guess there's ways to be self-motivated as well with the fake deadlines. But often reality, real deadlines, real issues motivate. And actually embracing reality, when we see reality, that if I don't get this done, I'm going to fail, we're motivated. And I think this, this can help us to, to add fuel to this ability to pray. And what this idea is that actually involves embracing reality. Some realities that we often don't like to embrace, or maybe we're trying to set up our lives not to embrace. The first is this. Embrace the reality of the need. Actually think about the world, or your own life, or just the state of the church. Not just our church, but say the church in the West, or think about your friends who don't know God. Think about your family and the issues that may be there. Think about the kids who are in families as major problems, as major issues. If you actually just like, like we don't like to do this right. Like we know there's issues in the world. We know there's problems. But the thing to do is kind of just stay distracted, stay just sort of focus on other things. We don't really like to ad- admit that actually there's desperate need in this world. Like, yeah, in Australia we have nice stuff. But spiritually, like there's a desperate need in the church in our own lives? Like, like, are we actually really living in this life of the kingdom with God? Like, do we actually really have his power and his presence? Like, like, there's all these people around us that don't know Jesus. There's like a desperate need there. And, and on top of that, there's just the issues that, that we face. Then there's the issues in our country and the issues in the world. Like, when you actually open yourself up to that, like, the reality is there's desperate need. And in some ways, it's incredibly overwhelming. Add to that and embrace the reality of our powerlessness. That actually, we can't do very much at all to fix that. Often we can't even do much at all to fix our own life, particularly spiritually. If we're in desperate need, and, and we, we, we can't just try harder. It's not just we're just going to work up something. It's like, no, we actually can't. 
we actually can't do anything. We can't make this happen. We can't make someone believe in Jesus. We can't shift our culture or a community. There's lots of situations that are fully out of our control and we are literally powerless. And the only thing that will work is if God moves powerfully, if God brings His Spirit. There's actually an embrace the reality that we are actually powerless. Because we, we, again, we don't like this. We sort of think, well, no, we just need to get things a little bit better. Like we just get a bit more organised, like get a few more like life hacks. Like if we just sort of get the church working a bit better, get things more, more like cool PowerPoints or something like that, then people will come. It's like, no, like there's desperate need and we're powerless. And then on top of that, embrace the reality of God's power and God's promise that actually we don't have what's needed. Like the friend at midnight, right? He doesn't have bread and he has a desperate need. He doesn't have any bread, but he realizes his friend has bread. And we realize actually God is powerful. And on top of that, God has promised to listen and respond to our requests. And ultimately we need God. We know in our own lives, we need God to actually do something. We need God to do something in our churches. We need God to do something in our society. Actually, it's, it's Him that we need, and He has the power to do that. He's done it before, and He's promised to listen and to respond. And actually, if we embrace these three realities, then prayer makes perfect sense. This, this passionate, persistent prayer makes perfect sense. It's not that we have to work it out, but we actually see, well, what else are we going to do? There's not really any other option except cry out to God to move powerfully in our lives. So this, this idea is instead of kind of, instead of, kind of dumbing down the, the state of the world or the state of our lives or, or our friends, instead of trying to kind of pump up ourselves and think, yeah, we, yeah, we're pretty good, we can get things together and kind of downplay God, instead of that, we, we, we accept and embrace the reality of the need in the world in our lives. We accept and embrace the reality of our powerlessness and we cast ourselves on God and realise actually it's Him who we need to move powerfully. We sort of kind of let the issues of life become fuel to pray. This is how one author, Andrew Murray, who have kind of based these ideas off, he says it this way, let every sight of souls needing help, like people who don't know God, let every stirring of the spirit of compassion, let every sense of our own helplessness to bless, let every difficulty in the way of getting an answer just combined to urge us to do this one thing with bold persistence to cry out to God alone who can help, who in answer to our prayer will help. He's saying, let it all combine the reality of the situation to turn it into fuel to pray persistently to ask God to move. Like the friend at midnight who persists, Jesus is saying, ask, seek for God to move powerfully. This is, this is like getting to a state where we don't just say, no, it's okay, it's not a big deal, things are all right. It's getting to a state where we say, no, it's not okay. It's not okay, the state of things. It's not okay, the state of our own faith. Or it's not okay, the state of the issues that we struggle with. It's actually not God's will for us. God's kingdom, when God's in charge, doesn't look like the way things are. It's actually this idea, this guy says, intercession is spiritual defiance of what is in the name of what God has promised. It's this actually saying, I'm, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. We're going to struggle. We're going to pray. We're going to ask for God to move because we're desperate and we need Him. And He is the only hope. And He's done it before and He can do it again. And we put all our hope and care on Him. 
That's, that, that's, that sort of lets the issues become fuel that turns into prayer and a cry out, this bold persistence to God. This is, this is again, it's, it's saying we're not going to tolerate it. We're going to seek God. And, and this involves, and, and maybe this is why we don't, we don't like this or don't embrace this, because it involves struggle. This is another way to talk about this is contending prayer, which is the idea of struggling prayer, persistent prayer. It's like when you go to the gym and, and you have to actually lift the weights and you have to run and it hurts and it's hard, but there's a payoff at the end. And, and, and we don't think about that spiritually. We're like, no, that's hard. Like, you're not supposed to have hard things at church. You're not supposed to have hard things with God. But we do that with everything else in life. Everything else in life, we understand there's, there's difficulties that have to be faced and persevered with and pushed through. But spiritually, we may not think that. But this is actually saying, no, we're not just going to tolerate and just, just keep things nice and easy. We're going to stand. We're going to pray. We're going to push through. We're going to persevere. It's going to be difficult, but we're going to do this because there's a need and we're powerless and God can help, and that's it. It's actually getting to the end of ourselves we cry out to God. Again, Mark says, says this, renewals happen. This is the idea of God actually moving and shifting and reviving us. Renewals happen when people get to the end of themselves, realize our powerlessness, and there is nothing to rely on except a contending on your knees for God's presence to move. Actually, we can't fix the issues. We don't have what's required. We don't have bread, but God does. So we just cast all our hope on Him and struggle and contend and press in and ask for Him to move. And particularly, Jesus says that God will give His Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So I suppose tonight there's an invitation to, to enter in in a new way to intercessory prayer or this idea of really asking God believing that God actually listens and responds to our requests, that prayer actually does make a difference, that it's actually really important and powerful and is actually our only hope that God would actually listen and move. And tonight, there's, I guess there's an invitation to, to, to pray and ask God, what does this mean? What does this look like? To, 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 what are the things in my life that I don't want to tolerate anymore? Or in the society that I want to tolerate, that I want to see God's will done. I want to see things shifted and to step into that. And, and again, this may brought up questions and, and issues I encourage you to discuss. These are big ideas. This may brought up emotional stuff. Disappointment with prayer is massive. And the idea of, again, believing and seeking God can bring up a whole lot of emotional stuff. And that's okay. And, and I encourage you to engage with that or maybe ask, ask for help with that. And again, today, I just we offer just an offering of, of prayer. If you're saying, oh, I just have no fuel, this sort of fire. I, I need this passion. I need to pray. And you'd like us to pray for you. I encourage you to come forward later on to pray. So what we're going to do is respond with communion. And, and as we do that, we recognize what our God is like. His, his goodness, He's come to save. He's given us His Son. He's sacrificed His life. And because of that, we have boldness now. We can walk into God's presence in the name of Jesus. We can stand with God and talk to Him. He puts His Spirit in us and He causes us to pray by the power of His Spirit. So as we take communion, I just encourage you to centre back on Him, that He is our hope, and to centre back on Him. It's not us, it's Him. Let's pray, let's be people who contend. So I'm going to pray, and maybe, maybe the band might like to come back up. And then when you're ready, when in this sort of this next little section, I encourage you to come and take communion. If you believe Jesus, we just sort of dip the biscuit in the juice. You can give an offering if you'd like as well. 
I encourage you as we sing this last song to even, even try stepping into that place of not just, and it actually requires a choice. It's, it's not, this is not a passive thing that just happens. It, it requires an active choice to say, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to request. I'm going to intercede. I encourage you, maybe even as we sing to finish, that maybe sometimes we sort of just sing, they're just words, it's just a song. But we turn this song into a prayer. And not just a prayer that we just say, but a prayer that we contend. We, we ask God to move and to listen. So I'm going to pray and then, then we'll respond in that way. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Uh, thank you that you are listening that you have answered prayers so many times. We see it in the Bible. We see it in history. God, many of us know it in our own lives. And we're surprised often. We don't even expect that you're actually listening, you actually do act. And Father, we just ask for forgiveness for that. We ask, God, that you would shape us around the reality, um, that you are our rich friend in heaven, that you have what we need, and you're willing and ready to give it to us. God, would you stir in us a fire and a fuel to be able to pray and to contend, to see your will done on earth, God, in our hearts, in our lives. God, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill us with the Spirit to be able to pray and to wrestle and to struggle and to to just pour out our hearts before you, God, and see you move. And we pray that you would move. Father, you would move in our hearts and lives, in our country, in your name. So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. Just ask that you'd have your way and do what you want to do in us tonight. Just pray this in your name, Jesus.